Welcome to Manage to Engage, the podcast from clearandopen.com, dedicated to the evolution of you because businesses grow when people do. Serving leaders, managers, and people who will be, helping you reach excellence in your work and achieve your personal goals at the same time. Sign up for the free course at clearandopen.com. We have this phrase like, well, so-and-so made me angry. No one can make you angry. They can give you a stimulus that is more likely to make you angry than make you happy. But the way it works is they say something that is a stimulus, but then you have to believe it. And usually that happens so fast we don't realize it. Hi, it's Joseph, and thanks for tuning in to Manage to Engage, the podcast from clearandopen.com. In the last episode, I asked a question. What universal daily part of human experience is irrefutable proof of how deluded human beings can be? The answer is dreams. We all dream. And while we're dreaming, we usually buy into that reality. Then we wake up and we're confronted with a contradictory reality. But despite the fact that we experience this delusion every morning, we go through the day assuming that our mind couldn't possibly have the capacity to fool us while we're awake. We assume to know who we are, how life works, and that tomorrow will be just like today. But if we look back at the evidence we have from our own lifetimes and all of recorded history, what's really real is that reality is constantly changing and constantly telling us, as individuals and as a society, that we're wrong. However, we don't like being wrong. And so when reality holds us accountable by showing us we're wrong, we often feel shame. So today we start to explore this complex dynamic between ourselves, reality, and shame. I offer weekly member webcasts, online courses, and mentorship at clearandopen.com because it's my truth that with the right tools, anyone can eliminate the people, money, and time problems holding them back in business. And I share parts of these webcasts and courses on this show because I want to help you too. If you're enjoying the show and learning from it, I'd love your feedback. If you're listening to the show on an Apple device, All you have to do is open up the podcast app, view the full description of this episode, and click the link to leave a rating and review for the show. Thanks very much for listening. Let's start the show. Accountability is the way in which we discover that we're wrong. Then what happens when we realize we're wrong? Shame often comes up. Shame is what says... I was wrong about something means I'm somehow existentially wrong as a person. I'm bad. I did something bad. Therefore, I'm bad. Or I had a thought that wasn't accurate or a belief that wasn't accurate. Therefore, I'm nothing. I'm worthless. I'm bad. That, I would offer, is not true. That's another made-up thing. But it causes us to contract from the truth, right? Because... We have some delusion, right? I I deserve millions of dollars for the dreamt plane crash. And the United Airlines CSR says, actually, no, you don't deserve that because it was just a dream. And in that moment, I go, oh, yeah, I guess the dream was my responsibility. Oh, how embarrassing. Oh, how humiliating. Wow, what an entitled brat I am. I'm lazy and I'm no good and I'm just shaking the trees to see what money can come come out of it. I feel terrible about myself. I'm never going to call a customer service representative again or whatever. 
whatever conclusions I make, whatever contractive conclusions I'll make. I'll never ask anybody for anything again. I'll never believe in my dreams again, the good ones or the bad ones. Whatever conclusions I make, that's a contraction from reality. And then that contraction from reality becomes what you live in. When you live in that contracted reality, you're filtering all of reality through that contraction. Well, what does that do? Well, that's a dream state in and of itself. The idea that you're bad, the shame view of the world, the idea that you're bad in some fundamental essential way, in my opinion anyway, is delusion. Are you capable of doing bad things? Sure. Do you sometimes make mistakes? Yes. Are you existentially, essentially, fundamentally bad? I don't experience that. Ask yourself if you do. Do you experience people as being evil, fundamentally bad? I mean, this, you, you can't really talk about this subject without going spiritual, right? But if you look at, you know, like I, as I often say, if you look at the quote unquote evil people in our world, don't, isn't it true that they always have good intentions? Most of the time, they think they're serving God. Lenin, Stalin, Hitler, founders of our country that slaughtered, depending on who you believe, between 20 and 50 million Native Americans believed that they were fulfilling manifest destiny, rights given to them by God. Were they evil people because they almost eradicated an entire culture? Well, I don't think anybody would disagree that that was a bad thing. But they certainly had the best of intentions in mind. They didn't think they were serving the devil. They didn't think we need to clear this country so that darkness can come in from, you know, hell and, and, and take over the land. So all will be, you know, like in the movies. And even in many movies, the, the evil people, they just want power. Well, if they want power, they must feel like they're lacking power in some ways, right? So they want to feel more powerful. Well, what's wrong with that? I mean, the part where it's enslaving all of the human race is not so good. But in essence, they just want to feel a little bit more powerful, you know, a little more self-expressed, or maybe a lot more. Probably somewhere in Adolf Hitler, he was feeling a little less than fully self-expressed with his power, right? I mean, you could tell by the way he talked. He was really into feeling powerful. That mattered to him. And so is the case with any dictator. Some dictator-like people are in the news a lot these days. <laughs> and they clearly have some demonstrable insecurity. It's all coming from a good place, isn't it? And that's hard to look at. It's, it's hard for people to consider. It's hard to find the compassion of whoever these people who impact us negatively, or whose opinions we disagree with. It's very difficult to look at them and go, oh, they're coming from a good place. Right? We want to summarily dismiss them. Oh, they're bad, they're evil, they're crazy, they're narcissistic. Well, all that's true, perhaps. It doesn't mean they're not coming from a good place. Both can be true. Now, that's harder to make an and around, isn't it? That's hard to make an and for. It requires some meta, some greater consciousness. Make you feel like your brain is being stretched a little bit. And that's why hate is a lot easier than compassion, isn't it? This great line from uh, normally not a Steven Seagal fan. I had one of my Aikido teachers trained with him in Japan back when he was Steve Siegel, which I always find amusing. That was his name. Steve Siegel is a very different kind of energy than Steven Seagal, isn't it? 
But he, he's an accomplished martial artist, even though uh, not, not the greatest actor in the world. But there's this great um, line in one of his movies where he's talking about Aikido. And he says um, you know, that, that he learned that learning to hurt people is actually very easy, but learning to love is a lot harder. And that's really what the martial art of Aikido is about. Like I used to say, I, like the founder of Aikido, I started in uh, Jiu-Jitsu. I didn't create Aikido and then I moved to Aikido. But that's the, the founder of Aikido created Jiu-Jitsu and he started to see that it was just violent and edgy and he didn't like who it was turning him into. And he had a series of enlightenment experiences and, and created Aikido as a result. And the point of Aikido, he used to say, is to create one family make the world one family, to create a beautiful world. And when I used to teach martial arts, I would say, look, I can teach you how to kill someone in six weeks. It's really not that hard. As my jiu-jitsu teacher, who was an ex-Green Beret, used to say, the hu- quote, the human body is a poorly designed fighting machine. And so it is. With the right skill and the right practice, you can break a wrist with a little over 12 pounds of pressure. You can break an elbow with like 15 or 20. It's really very easy. You don't have to have strength. It's just about knowing the right angles and practicing it. Really, really simple to kill someone. Most martial arts are not so direct. They go the, the very long way. But Jiu-Jitsu, the, the style I studied, a combat form, is very direct. It's how fast can I end this person's life? I had the privilege and the odd circumstance of training with someone who used to train Green Berets. And he was no BS. But then I started to see what it did to me. I was in college and a friend would come up behind me and put their hand on my shoulder. And next thing I knew, I had my hands around their throat, starting to um, in position to tear their trachea out. And I would stop just before I actually hurt them, but I was ready. And I started to think, huh, what is this art turning me into? And that was when I started to study Aikido. Because I saw I was becoming that. And then Aikido is really interesting because the first, oh, I don't know, six months was so difficult because I had to unlearn everything that I had learned. So I didn't even really get to start for a good six months because I was so busy doing what I knew that didn't work in that milieu. And then when I forgot everything I knew, I was able to start over. But to become proficient in Aikido, which is about Winning the conflict or immobilizing, disarming your opponent with the minimum amount of damage. To be able to do that proficiently takes four or five years of really hard work, not six weeks. Isn't that interesting? To be able to put someone on the floor and have them be dead, you can learn that in six weeks. But if you want to put them on the floor and have them be just fine, and you too, that takes four or five years. It's interesting, right? It's harder. It's such a great metaphor, isn't it? Love and care is so much more difficult. It's so easy to judge, to have an opinion, judgment about yourself or others. Because there is no shame without judgment. right? There has to be a shamer for there to be shame. So when you feel a shame response to something, when you realize you were deluded, which is you know, just about the most natural human experience there is, happens every morning, as I say. But when you wake up from a dream, you don't go, oh man, how deluded I was. I can't believe I thought I was going to get 
millions of dollars from the airline for having dreamt about a crash. I'm, I'm a bad person. That doesn't happen, right? But when we're wrong in our waking life, we're much more likely to have that contractive shame idea, that shame dynamic. Why? Because there's a shamer who's judging you for it. You can spend many years unraveling that dynamic, the shamer and the shamey, so that you can start to track it. Because if you feel that shame response, there must have been a shamer. What's their point of view? Where are they coming from? They're probably saying something to you with the word should in it. You should have known. You should have gotten this sooner. They're very opinionated about how reality ought to be. They think they know what you should have known, by when you should have known it, how it all should have gone. And they're deluded. Because how could they possibly know that? They may have a strong preference, okay? But you've all had this experience, right? Where you were doing something in business a certain way or relating to someone in a certain way. And then you wake up or someone wakes you up with some form of accountability and says, you know what? I think you're being kind of hard on this new employee because they just don't know what they're doing and they need your support, not your criticism. Oh, man. You're right. They are new. I don't know why I wasn't thinking about that. When... You speak of a shamer. There must uh, must be a shamer. Are you talking about the shamer within us or a shamer without us or both? Both. Both. Okay. Good question. Because if someone, quote, shames you, that will only stick to you if the shamer in you agrees with them. It's the same way. Like we have this phrase like, well, so-and-so made me angry. No one can make you angry. They can give you a stimulus that is more likely to make you angry than make you happy. But the way it works is they say something that is a stimulus, but then you have to believe it. And usually that happens so fast we don't realize it. That's not to let the shamer, the outside shamer off the hook. You know, there's such a thing as abuse, whether you believe them or not. You can say, Hey, well, you're being unkind. I don't agree, but it's not okay for you to talk to me that way. They still have some responsibility, but no one can make you feel shame. They can stimulate shame you already have. Just the same way no one can make you feel angry. Now, this is a very high bar of self-responsibility, of course. So if we were to walk through our lives with this incredible sense of wonder about what we might be missing and what discovery might be around the next bend, how we might be deluding ourselves in any moment, this is a uh, it's not even really right to call it a state because it wouldn't be fixed. Right? It, it would be a, a dynamic, a, a process of discovery. There would be no room for shame to really take any root in that kind of experience. right? Because in order to feel the contraction of shame, reality has to be some fixed way. So back to that example, like say you were treating an employee badly and didn't realize it. When you realized it, you would have a greater reaction of, oh, wow, I'm sorry I did that and I feel some regret, but I'm so excited to have discovered it. Instead of, oh, what a bad manager I am, I'll never get it. I suck. That's the fork in the road that either makes you a learner, a really fast learner, 
or a slow to stop learner. That's it. Thanks for listening to Manage to Engage, the clear and open podcast. Join us next week when you'll be a little bit closer to who you're destined to be. Until then, know that Clear and Open is dedicated to the evolution of you because businesses grow when people do. If you want to help the show grow, I'd appreciate you leaving a rating and review on iTunes. All you have to do is open the Apple Podcasts app, view the full description of the episode, and click the link to leave a rating and review. Or you can go to clearandopen.com slash review, and it will bring you to the right place. If you're looking for more support on your journey, head over to clearandopen.com for even more tools, articles, and free resources. Thanks so much for listening. Bye for now.